Won't you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, Christ Church. Today I am reminded of the late Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. She was one of my heroines. She, in 1976, here in our great city of New York at Madison Square Garden, on July 12th, 1976, said, now that I have this grand distinction, what am I supposed to say? And would you believe that just this very week I have asked myself that several times? Now that I have the great distinction of preaching at Christ Church, What, oh Lord, am I supposed to say? Well, when I thought of her words, I thought of the words of another great preacher who said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. These are the words of Dr. King. In his final speech on the day before his assassination, many historians would say that it was as if King knew that he would soon die. And in fact, the very next day, he did. Our Lord Christ, in his farewell discourse in chapters 14 through 17 of John's Gospel, closes with what has become known as the high priestly prayer and These final words before his death, Jesus prays that his followers may all be one as we are one. And today we are privileged to witness the words of Paul to Timothy as Paul knows his end is imminent. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. As we continue in prayer, consider the theme, a hope for today a hope for today. So now that we have 
consider this beautiful hymn, I want to suggest that I believe it encapsulates both the reading as offered from Second Timothy and also the gospel today. I would say that the song for our consideration is that we want to be Christians in our hearts. We find the characteristics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, one who chooses to walk in the way of Christ, a, a Christian, in that great hymn of the church. So after we have labored for Christ and sought to participate in the kingdom-building enterprise, do not fret. The good news is there is a reward for the Christian. In this most personal and vivid of his personal letters, this pastoral epistle, Paul writes to Timothy, the one who accompanied him on his travels, Timothy, the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother, became a Christian and was committed to aiding Paul in the work of the church. He had a chance to see the many dangers, toils, and snares Paul had encountered. Paul writes to him explaining his unequivocal and undeniable trust in God to not only see him through the dangerous terrain, but yes, to lead him home. Yes, Paul recognizes that God is the source of his deliverance from attackers and protection from evil forces all around. In the manner in which the words convey the spirit of this letter, one can see how persuaded Paul was in the, fa in the faith that God would be indeed his very help in times of trouble. Paul knew that God was present with and for him when all others would desert him. And Paul knew something about desertion. And don't we all? From the playground to the boardroom, many of us have experienced feelings of actual loneliness, even in a crowded room. It has manifested in our most difficult seasons of life. It was believed that this was being written from jail. Would to God that we could have that kind of conviction and faith. No matter what trying situation we might be facing here, Paul was certain of the return of Jesus Christ. And this is what gave him the confidence to write, I am now ready to be offered up. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. While there is no way we are justified by our works, Paul tells of a reward promised for him and for all those who await the return of Jesus Christ. Friends, there is a reward for the Christian who remains faithful. Paul summons Timothy to pick up the mantle and fight valiantly onward for the cause of Christ. Timothy is to become his successor and continue fighting the good fight. Church, we are called to do the same. We are living in a time in our nation where many feel hopeless, despondent, and discouraged. But we, the church, are to do what Paul exhorts Timothy to do in his epistle. 
Friends, in the wake of despondent, disparaging times, we are called simply to be the church. We are called to provide hope to the hopeless. We are called to be a voice for the voiceless. We are called to love those who are difficult to love. Now, how hard is that? How many of us have run into people that have been difficult, ornery even, just hard to love? We are called to pray for our enemies. Have mercy, Jesus. Pray for our enemies. It's hard enough to pray for ourselves. And yes, pray even for our enemies. We are called to fight, not with the weapons of this world, but to fight a good fight. See, friends, Paul knew that not only Timothy would be his successor, but we in the church of the 21st century would be challenged to take this mantle upon us. As a child, I heard this text lifted up for many a funeral. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have heard this passage preached for eulogies, particularly for those who battled long illnesses without losing their faith, without cursing God, without refraining from the church, but remaining in community. As a little girl growing up in a Christian home, the rhythmical quality of these words held a deep mystery for me. It sounded beautiful. But what did it mean? Having grown in the faith since childhood, Paul's familiar words continue to offer hope. Today, these words serve as a comfort and encouragement. When I hear of a person's unwavering commitment to the gospel, as loved ones gather and and celebrate a person's life's work and contribution to humanity. This lofty and lyrical message has transported many many in a pew into heavenly realms to receive the just reward for fighting until the very end of life, which is the crown of righteousness. In this critical time, a time of discernment and recognition that all of life's travails and triumphs are coming to a close, Paul writes as one with unending hope and unbridled joy. Paul's hope is rooted in the fact that his work has not been in vain. This is the hope of the Christian. This is my hope. Is this your hope? This joy springs forth as an assurance that Jesus is pleased with those who not only start well, but do not lose heart and finish as strongly as they began. Paul is reminded of the words of Jesus who speaks of those starting on the Christian journey well, but not able to keep on until the very end. Jesus speaks of this in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew when he tells of the cost of discipleship. The question for us is, are we willing to take the mantle upon our shoulder? In one example, Jesus says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Howard Thurman, pastor, scholar, theologian, mystic, poet, philosopher, 
In his book, The Creative Encounter, writes about the individual in the quest to know God. He writes, when the individual's life comes under the influence of God in his or her religious exposure, then the stage may be set for a soul-shaking conflict of loyalty. This decision calls for something much more coherent and intelligible than a mere feeling that this is what God demands. It is here that the concept of incarnation, he says, in the Christian faith takes on a practical significance. Thurman continues in his writing, expounding the virtues of one's inner and outer religious experience and witness. In his closing, he submits, wherever man, or woman for that matter, has this sense of the eternal in his spirit, he hunts for it in his home, in her work, among her friends, in his pleasures, and in all the levels of his function. It is my simple faith, he says, that this is the kind of universe that sustains that kind of adventure. And what we see dimly now in the churning, confusion, and chaos of our tempestuous times will someday be the common experience of all the children of humanity everywhere. What I believe Thurman is saying here echoes the words of Paul. Sisters and brothers, the resounding admonition is to remain faithful to the call and the work Christ has commissioned. Barclay offers this about Paul. Ever since his conversion, he had offered everything to God, his money, his scholarship, his time, his physical strength, and the acuteness of his mind, and the devotion of his heart. Some here today in worship might say, I've given all my energy to this ministry. I've given all my joy to this ministry. I've given all my talents to this ministry. Yes, you may have heard this passage preached at funerals too. It is not intended to simply be a good word about someone else, a eulogy. It has a word for the living. Not only does this passage and Paul's famous words address the holy dying one may find imminent, like Dr. King and even Jesus, but what about the longing for Christ's return? It is because we are longing to fulfill our calling to follow Christ and become his disciple that we now sit here today. Are we among those who are longing for his appearing? It is this longing that causes us to do the things we do, support the work of the church with our time, talent, and treasure. We ask ourselves, what motivates us? It is because of the longing to see Christ in his appearing that we would rather come and participate in worship rather than join our acquaintances for brunch. We do that after worship. It is because of the longing to see Christ. We place our time in worship before anything else on the Lord's day. Before the golf course, before shopping, before athletic activities, and before simply lounging in bed. We go back and do that after worship. We credit this very longing to foster the need to religiously educate our children and set the example for them to emulate. 
because we long to be among the host of those who long for the appearing of Christ. We are involved in the ministry of the church and place it above every other organization of human construct or origin. We are motivated to love our neighbors as ourselves. It is in this aspiration that gives us our greatest challenge in life to see the other just where they are for who they are. When we truly see them, this is when we live into the words of the hymn of Zion. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. The desire is to be more loving, more holy, and more like Jesus in our hearts. If we were in an Episcopal church, we would note the addition of another verse. After singing, I want to be more holy, and before singing, I want to be more like Jesus, they sing, I don't want to be like Judas in my heart. I don't want to be the one who betrays Jesus. Instead, I want to live for Jesus. Because through it all, we are striving to be Christians every day and make a conscious decision to live into this identity. In the Greco-Roman world of that time, the crown symbolized immortality. Therefore, the crown of righteousness may well be interpreted for the 21st century Christian as the gift of eternal life. Our life's work, both individual and collective, efforts should point toward the service of Christ. In understanding this, we come to see and understand when Paul speaks to all who have loved his appearing, believing that our strivings are not in vain, our yearnings and longing to experience the full manifestation of Christ and his love will not fail us. For the work of Christ Church in Columbia, in Washington Heights, on behalf of youth in the city of New York, witnessing for the LGBTQ community, that work is not in vain. Our victor's wreath is being stored up until that day when Jesus returns for us and finds us worthy because of our faithfulness. Do not lose heart. In the words of my grandmother, God knows all and God sees all. With the identity of what it means to be a democracy, what it means to be an American hanging in the balance, isn't it good to know that this is not all there is to this life? Isn't it good to know that there is still a God, a God who wants us to love the only begotten Son and truly live as Christians in our hearts? Congresswoman Jordan continued in her address to the DNC, I could easily spend this time praising the accomplishments of this party and attacking the Republicans, but I don't choose to do that. I could list the many problems which Americans have. I I could list the problems that cause people to feel cynical, angry, and frustrated. Problems which include lack of integrity in government the feeling that the individual no longer counts, the reality of material and spiritual poverty. But I don't choose to do that either, she said. Many times people have turned to political parties to solve their problems. Well, Christ Church, today I'm glad that we can say that people turn to Jesus to solve their problems. They turn to God to 
To Jesus be all glory, Lord, and honor. Like Paul, who expected his reward, our hope is at the end of our life in Christ. Listen, can you hear yourself saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. It brings me to another great hymn sung by many in the church. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.